This podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Kent. And we are back up for episode something of TCK. I don't know. I've lost count. We do three-parters. It uh, changes everything. I've tried to number the episodes on multiple occasions. I don't know where we're at now. But today we're talking about Bernie Teed. Actually, today we're talking about Bernie Tida. 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 Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we're in the 30s with TCK. Okay. Uh, just I'm always sh- confused about how to label the multi-parters is, you know, it, I don't know what number Apple Fish was, but is, is part one, episode 31, and then part two, episode 32? Yeah, the reason I, the reason that I number them that way is because, uh, Apple podcast, uh, they, they will, for, they force you to say which episode number is this, and so if you put the same episode number for all the parts, it, it really messes messes things up so numerically yeah it's it's kind of forced upon us so i i i do the numbering under duress more or less okay yeah this will be 46 this is 46 46 and our we have a producer now that's where we're at at 1159 media moving on up jessica mcnamee is one of our producers so how do you say your last name jess oh it's it's mcnamee it's fine mcnamee mcnamee Oh, always, we have I a producer. Sh- she keeps yeah. us on track and everything. And that's how you know, you know, we're growing. Did you say 46 or 36? 46. Okay, 46. Wow. Wow, okay. That's crazy. Also, it's crazy to think how long this show's been running and that we're at, we are at episode 46 and how we started another show in August and we're already at episode 74. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. It's crazy how some shows just some shows rock, require research and rocket up the some charts. of them are very shot from the cuff and super unprepared valuable. And, did you weird. say valuable? Is it just That's super not a word va- I would like use to describe valuable. that show at all? It's weird. Useless. It's weird. That's one that I would use to. It's describe. weird how not valuable in the hearts of the the listener. Uh, some yeah, shows I'll just wedge, yeah, deeply. And other ones are just sort of, I mean, I don't want to use the word galumphing into their hearts, but. So Jessica's here, like, so you know how uh, other podcasts, if they have like, hey, we're talking about something, we need something quickly researched, all that stuff. She's kind of uh, the, she's like the, uh, what, what would be the word? Is that a producer? Is that also yeah, the job? Yeah, producer. she's a producer. So if we're like, hey, you know how Joe Rogan says, hey, do you care to look that up, Jamie? Yeah, Jess is our Jamie. Yeah. And uh, we're happy to have her here. Growing. TCK's growing. Bam. Aside from that, you probably won't hear much from her. She doesn't talk a lot. She's just very intelligent and structured and responsible. All of the things that neither of us giant toddlers are. Yeah. Duly, rightly right. so. Duly, duly noted. So we're talking about Bernie Tita today. And now look up. I want to front load this with something. Here at TCK, we are, no- we are notorious for... Going with the flow of what is considered, quote, socially acceptable, quote. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody would use a word to describe TCK, they would probably say woke. Uh, any, yeah. Anytime a trigger subject is brought up, we really lay that extra bit of care on it and let everybody on the 
quote, right side of history, unquote, know that we support whatever they say, not just because they throw a fit otherwise, but because I really want everybody to believe that I'm a good person. You know what's funny when you say that is you started talking about all that, and I was thinking the word trigger rhymes with... Uh, now, now, sure, one would call it, quote, pandering, unquote, because that's what it is. But it's also about more than that. Yeah. It's, it's about more than that. It's about making money. Yes. And, and you can't make money if you say things or do things that the Twitter warriors take offense to, right? Right. That's not how things work. So I'm sure you're wondering why I front-loaded this episode with this. The answer is simple. Here at TCK, we've probably done some victim-blaming on occasion in the past, but I've never done it intentionally, right? And if I have, then I would like to say that, and, I, and I've never said this before. From the bottom of my heart, I am truly not going to promise it won't happen again in the future by accident. <laughs> Uh, I'm not like other podcast hosts because I'm not perfect. I'm human. I make mistakes. I have flaws. With that in mind, with all that in mind, this episode is going to have a lot of intentional victim blaming. Okay. I want you to know that this time I'm completely aware that I'm doing it. Yeah. (laughs) So if you're getting mad listening to this, just know that I know what I'm doing and it is not an accident. Is it? Is it? It, would you put it in the camp of what's the word I'm looking for? Victim blaming? Yes. <laughs> no, you've already established that. No, I meant um, deserved or you'll see. Okay. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to let that cat out of the box. Yeah. yeah. So I guess with that being said, if you listen to this and the victim blaming, just I don't know. Get mad, bitch. <laughs> Sometimes crime isn't just right and wrong. Sometimes it's not always black and white. There's a gray area too, and you're getting ready to see that. I feel like I, I just I'll, I'm I'm sorry. I'm stuck on when you were like, unlike other podcasters, I'm not perfect. You said I, and there are two of us on this show. So I just wanted to thank you for that compliment. Oh, I definitely you, wasn't talking about you. You have so oh, many flaws that I, I don't know how you've made it this far. I thought maybe you were trying to establish, you know, some kind of. You are such distance. a flawed human being. Yeah, which is um, incredible considering how Norman Rockwell your upbringing was. Yeah, it's yep. it's honestly impressive how flawed you are as a person with such a beautiful motel painting childhood. I don't know. I don't know how I pulled it off. I don't either. It's impressive. Yeah. You should write a book for people that had everything going for them and they're wanting to fuck up their lives. Yeah, like one that should have been a simple life but turned really complex, and I'll just call it Simplexity with the Operator. Yeah. <laughs> i make it an audio book and also a math choose-your-own-adventure book. Scratch and sniff math. Okay, now you may have seen the movie that this story inspired. It's called Bernie, and our main character here, uh, Bernie Tita, he's played by Jack Black. Oh, yeah, Jumanji. Uh, not Jumanji. I don't Jumanji think Jack too? Black was in Jumanji at all. No, he, no, he was, was. actually Robin Williams, two completely different people. By the, by the, I mean, as a matter of fact, I don't even think Jack Black was working in movies when Jumanji came out. Uh, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, uh, starring Jack Black, 2017. Also, Jum- Jumanji, yeah, Jumanji, The Next Level. Oh, uh, I was thinking the starring- original Jumanji. There is only one Jumanji. Not that bullshit that The Rock was in. 
We're talking about the Polka King that he was in? Goosebumps? The Polka King, Nacho Libre, um, Goosebumps. Um, now I feel uh, like you're just trying to one-up me with School your knowledge. of Rock, Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny. Yes, that Jack. Mars Attacks. Not a lot of people remember he was in that. Gulliver's Travels. Gulliver's Travels. In- that Jack Black. He plays Bernie Tita in the movie Bernie. And to be honest, I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's fairly spot on in terms of what actually happened. They took very little liberties in that movie. Very impressed. If uh, it's anything like the Polka King, then I can understand. Never seen that movie. I can imagine it's terrible. And I haven't seen Bernie, so we're going to just have to put our... I recommend it, especially after listening to this episode, because they did a good job. I think we'll just have to dock our two... Cox? Um, No, not Cox. You said it. Dock our two concepts together at this point and just call them one. Well, after doing the research for this story, I was extremely impressed with how close they stuck to the real story in the movie, uh, especially considering past episodes that we've covered that had movies based on them, like Ed Gein, The Sun Jim Gang, etc. Those movies always take it's always it's mostly bullshit, especially Pain and Gain, the movie about the Sun Jim Gang. That was absurd how much they made up for that movie, but. If you're, if you're, have you, have you seen, have you seen the movie Jesus's Son? I have not. I haven't. No, I would imagine that's a movie that you watched a lot at Sunday school or something. I, I, <laughs> no. I remember being at Sunday school and making us watch Carrot Tales or something. Veggie Tales. Veggie Tales. Is that the one you're, you're thinking of? Veggie Tales. No, this is called Jesus's Son. And, um, it was it came out in 1999 and Jack Black was in it but imagine being Jack Black and being cast in a movie and you don't even get to be Jesus's son Billy Crudup was Jesus's son in that who you ask I might just say the Silver Surfer but other than that you don't know who he is I don't know who that is Billy Crudup Crudup C-R-U-D-U-P if it's spelled, if it's pronounced another way, if that's like a French name, I don't know. But Billy, um, Billy's in it. Okay, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad that we got that out. I'm yeah, glad that that's in there. Jesus's son. When did that come out? You know what? Uh, it doesn't night, matter. Yeah. Before we get into our antagonist, yep, or maybe protagonist of this story. Well, let, I'll let you decide. Uh, Bernie, Bernie Tita. Let's get into his father's backstory a bit. It kind of paints a picture of the man Bernie would eventually become. They did end up being very much alike for the most part. So let's talk about his dad a little bit. Okay. I know I've already interrupted you a lot, but you said paints a picture. So His dad's name was Burhart Teed. Tita. His dad's name was Bur- Fuck you up. His dad's name was Burhart Tita. And although Burhart was born in Russia in 1912, his family moved to Germany in 1918 and then immigrated to New York, New York here in the United States in 1926. And that's a bold move, arguably, considering they moved from Russia, one of the allies during World War One, to Germany, one of the central powers during World War One, at the tail end of World War One, and then moved from Germany, one of the central powers, to America, one of the allies, just eight years after the end of World War One, during a time when we weren't what I would call open-minded. Yeah. Fortunately, the TDs were people persons because there were likely a lot of barriers to break down on both moves. So they're kind of moving to places where they're probably not welcome, I would argue, mm-hmm. repeatedly. 
So that's how they end up in the United States. Should we land on a last name? I'm uh, just conf- just wanting to know. Is Tita. Teed, Tita, or Teedy? Because you said- I'm going to use all of them in this okay. episode. All right. So, so if you hear all- me say Teed, Tita, yeah. or Titty, mm-hmm. that is the same all person. The same acronym. Gotcha. Yeah. Tita. And you'll actually hear people in, depending on what documentary you're watching or, or, or what, it would have to be what you're watching, not what you're reading, but they all pronounce it differently. But when Bernie was asked how to pronounce his last name, he himself said Tida. Tida. Okay. Now, once there in New York, Burhart, Bernie's dad, went to college at the Juilliard School of Music. And that's a, everybody knows of Juilliard. It's a fancy pants school where they all have little bitty mustaches and drink with their pinkies in the air and never smell a fart because the food is especially designed to not make you fart. That's what Juilliard is. I'd imagine I've never been there, but I'll imagine that farting is not allowed at Juilliard because that's for the poor. Do you know anybody that was accepted to Juilliard? I don't, no. Funny, you do. <laughs> Go ahead. Get it out of your system. I know what you were hinting at. I was accepted. Did you get did accepted you? at Juilliard Art? Um, I did. I did. Okay. I did. 94. And your dad went to Harvard. But I didn't, couldn't go. I couldn't you go. You couldn't go because you fart too much. No, well, A, case in point. But also, A, B, subpart two, I couldn't afford it. Oh, okay. Well, guess what? Burhart could. You fucking loser. <laughs> <laughs> Just down there farting with the pores. <laughs> I went to Eastern Kentucky University where we did nothing but drink. (laughs) Known as a party school. Fun. Not elite in the least bit. (laughs) They would accept a raccoon if one applied. (laughs) Watch we get an ad for him next week and you got to walk all that back. (laughs) Now, after he graduated Juilliard... He joined the Army Signal Corps and deployed to France during World War II, where he probably made up for the farts he missed out on at Juilliard tenfold. <laughs> After serving five years, he gets out. Now, like I said, he did deploy, went to France. And in 1948, Burhart settles in Texas to have a family and begin looking for stability, looking for a woman, wanting to settle down, wanting to have a family. Once again, he chooses Texas in 1948. Yeah. He has a Russian accent. He came from Fancy Pants Juilliard. There was probably a lot of, hey, Fowler, what's your deal? We don't take kindly to your top around here with your little mustaches and you're not farting. This guy's just a glutton for punishment. Yeah. Seriously, though, he's like a magnet for the wrong place to go. Yeah, he's all, really bad at choosing places to go. Not good at that job. <laughs> now, while waiting to find the woman of his dreams, the woman he wanted to marry, he was a professor of music at several different colleges in Texas. This would be his career until the day he died. He sang in church choirs as a baritone. He performed fairly often on stage, singing around Texas in various, various choruses and things like that. Burhard also enjoyed carving and sculpting. There's actually a seven-foot bronze statue of famous scientist George Washington Carver 
floating around the United States somewhere that was sculpted by Burhart, Bernie's dad, in 1957. Oh, really? Which is a fun fact. That is a fun fact. I was able to dig up an old picture from an old newspaper of it, and I looked everywhere for this statue, and I couldn't find it. Now, originally, it was commissioned out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I found that out. But I lost track of it after that. So it was somewhere in Pittsburgh for a while, and unless it was melted down, it's still out there somewhere. What I'm saying is... He was really good at sculpting, too, at least good enough to receive commissions. Do you think it could have ended up in Philadelphia? You know, I looked, I typed in bronze statue of George Washington Carver, and I knew what the one that Burhart sculpted looked like. Mm -hmm. So I went through all the ones I could find, and I could not find it anywhere. So I'm thinking maybe it's been melted down since been melted down, or it's in some private collection somewhere, or maybe it's in the basement of some university and it's got an inch of dust on it. I don't know where it's at now. One thing that I know that you wouldn't want to melt down from 1957 is the... Here we go. 1957 5C FS yep. regular strike Jefferson 5 cent piece. Right. It... Right. If you've got that and it's in any kind of like quality condition, right. like I'd say a 66 or... 66, uh, th- yeah. 67. Uh, SB, th- uh, $1,320 right. in your pocket. $1,320. That's three cartons of eggs. You're not going to find one that's PCGS rated. Well, you will. You'll find right. one that sold at auction for 1100 for those PCGS mm-hmm. rated. But I 1100. mean, basically the gradings on these are, it's, you know, it's really in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. As is this information in terms of its importance. Yep. Burhart was loved in his community. Burhart had his hand in everything in the community. Anything to make his community better, he was there for all of it. Trying to find old newspapers with Burhart's name in them is like trying to find a needle in a haystack made entirely of needles. <laughs> he is everywhere. Everywhere, all the way back to the 30s. Well, good, well, good for him. Yeah. Yeah, and actually that was an issue I had with Bernie doing the research for this episode because Bernie himself was in the newspaper every week for something, being a good Samaritan, because uh, there's no books written about this. This entire episode was put together f- through newspapers, So, yeah. but it still wasn't hard finding information. On July 20th, 1957, 45-year-old Bern, Bernhardt Teed, Teedy, Bernhardt Tits, Bernhardt Teeda. Marries a 25-year-old woman by the name of Layla Majester. And one year later, on Saturday, August 2nd, 1958, Burhart Tita II was born in Tyler, Texas. Gets the nickname Bernie pretty quickly, but he's named after his father, Bernie is. And from now on, I will call him Bernie Tita II. I'll just call him How about Bernie. we just call him Bernie T? Just Bernie. Every time I mention Bernie from the, for the rest of the episode, I'm not going to say Bernie Tita II. Yeah, no, it's no, time-consuming and un- unnecessary. Now, mm-hmm. Bernie was naturally raised in church. This is Texas. I think that it's required or they'll hang you. I think it's execution <laughs> by firing squad. It was a huge part of his mother and father's life, though, and he was raised in church as well. Now, in 1959, Anna Maria, Bernie's one and only sibling, is born his sister. Mm. Uh, she never comes into play for the remainder of this entire story, so we can move on. Yeah. Also, we lost the... We had Wheat Penny in 1959. That's fun. Friday, November 3rd, 1961, when Bernie is two years old, his mother, Layla, died by natural causes in a brutal, fiery car accident. (laughs) 
The accident happened naturally. That's what I'm saying. It wasn't forced. Right. She was 28 years old at the time and pregnant. As far as the accident goes, here's what happened. Mm. Bernie's father, Burhart, and his mother, Layla, had been on their way to an opera of the uh, opera Tyus, which was playing in the State Fair Auditorium in Dallas. Now, I did read a breakdown of the opera of Tyus, and I've read more exciting premises on the back of shampoo bottles. <laughs> Perhaps my own accent doesn't allow me to enjoy such thing as operas, but I digress. It's something about gods and singing and ooh, and all kinds of bullshit. And I'm just not into that sort of thing. And if you are good for you, go fuck yourself. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just not my thing. I see where this is going, but I'm going to hold off. But so far, his parents. This is more of an op thing. These these operas and, were driving at, to or from an to, opera. Okay. To an opera to, in Dallas. To of an opera. The opera okay. Tyus. Gotcha. Parents driving to an opera. At 4 p.m., as they came northway, north up Gladewater Highway, their 1954 Oldsmobile was broadsided on the front passenger side at Layla's door by a 1960 Chevy driven by three young African-American men inside. I only bring that up the African-American part, because in the newspapers at the time, they were really stressing that. Yeah. Turns out journalists have been intentionally trying to cause uproar since the early days of news reporting. Mm. They didn't use African-American, though. No, they didn't. They did not. They triggered a whole community by using another word? They were trying to intentionally cause an uproar, yes. This is... uh, The alcohol, was. this was just an accident... Nobody, it was just an accident. Did they use the N-word? What's that? Did they use the N-word? They did. They didn't go E-R, though. They went R-O. Which is also black. Yeah. In a, in other countries, so. Okay, so, so far, let me piece this together. Parents, driving to an opera. Now, of Tyus. And in she's Dallas, killed. Going north up Gladewater Highway in their 1954 Oldsmobile. They're broadsided on the front passenger side at his mother's, at Bernie's mother's door by a 1967 Chevy driven by three young black men. Do you know what this lines up with? Almost exactly. Batman? Yep. That's what I was going to say. How'd you know? I'm just looking at the outline here. (laughs) What were you going to say? Batman. Oh, were you really? (laughs) Yeah, I was really going to say that's how Bruce Jenner's dad's died. And uh, his family, his parents died. I know that Caitlyn Jenner is also dangerous behind the wheel. Yeah, that's true. Oh, wow. The Oldsmobile that had Burhart and Layla and Layla inside then went over the into the ditch, flipped and caught fire. Fortunately, two passerbys pulled the two from the burning car. Layla died about three hours after the accident. Burhart was badly injured and had a crushed pelvis and internal bleeding, uh, but he did eventually recover. He was, unfortunately, now a single father. And probably never going to have kids again with crushed pelvis. I, I hadn't thought about that, but that's a good point. They don't have any yep. kids. He doesn't have any kids after this, so maybe that was why. I don't know. I hadn't put, that, I hadn't put two and two together like that. Bernhardt was, a good fa- Bernhardt was a good father to Bernie. Bernie looked up to him a lot. His dad was a compassionate, intelligent, caring man. 
He did his best to raise his two children single-handedly during this period. I would imagine there was a lot of hungry man dinners and whatever the 1960s equivalent to ramen noodles was. I don't know what that would have been. What, what were the 60s like? I think you said it best. Uh, you said the effing 60s. The fucking 60s. That's basically what I, th- what I think. What was it. the 60s equivalent to ramen noodles? Oh, that would have been wheat bread. Okay. May 28th, 1963, three years after the car accident, Bernie is five years old. His father remarries, and she was a woman named Catherine Wiley May, whom had been one of his college students in his one of his classes. And I know that sounds kind of racy, you know, but I, I don't know that it is in the 60s. Mm-hmm. He is, at the time, uh, in his 40s. She's in her 20s. I don't know. Think about that what you want. He was a professor there. She was in his class. They ended up talking and going out a few times, and then they got married. Also, I, I think, you know, the age, I guess, never mind, because I could say age wasn't a thing, and but somebody else could be like, oh, no, it was a really big thing. And so, never mind. I don't. Well, now, if you're keeping up, Bernie has a new stepmother, but she was pretty chill. He had a good father. He had a good biological mother. She unfortunately died. And then he went on to have a good stepmother as well. This kid's rolling aces so far. Yeah. One after the other. Not one person has touched him yet. And that's really good odds in the South. <laughs> in the South, he's three for three. I mean, that's hard to come by. Three people that don't molest you? Unheard of. In Texas? 1967. Bernie must have done well in school because I was able to dig up a newspaper article of a 10-year-old Bernie Tita receiving an award at his Kilgore Heights Elementary School for winning an essay contest on why I like my teacher. So who was your favorite teacher, Op? Um, Here's a funny thing. Oh, I can't. I shouldn't tell. Oof. All right, I'll tell you. I had this teacher named Dr. Phillips, and she was my teacher in in Seattle, Washington. Is Issaquah, Washington to be specific. Pacific. To be specific. I'm rubbing off on you. Yeah. Uh, now here's the unique thing about Dr. Phillips. Dr. Phillips was a doctor of literature or something. Yeah. Uh, black woman came straight out of the Austin? 60s. Oh. She, no, straight out of the 60s. Like this woman like she had swagger. She had, she had, uh, we, we always made fun of her sh- high heeled shoes because they had a spring in them. So they're always like, wah, 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 wah. and I don't know, I've never seen anybody with spring heeled shoes since, but she had that. Here's a really weird wrinkle is there was one little black girl in my class. Adorable little girl. Like, I don't think she ever did anything wrong, ever. But Dr. Phillips had a tendency to, when you got in trouble, our classroom had two doors to it. And they went into a shared bathroom with other classrooms where they had two doors. It's kind of like a Jack and Jill kind of thing. If you got in trouble, she would take you into the bathroom by yourself and yell at you full volume so the whole class can hear it and smack the wall with a ruler while she did it but whenever i can't remember her name but whenever the little black girl got in trouble she made sure there were witnesses wow 
And it didn't really dawn on me until several years ago where I was like, that's why. Because she would be like, you up now, get in there and you come here too. And she always had somebody in there with her when she, whenever she yelled at the. But why? I'm, I am guessing that it was sort of a, a CYA tactic or kind of a cover your protect you know I, I i feel it was like a protection thing like i don't know if she was protecting her career or if she somehow felt like she was protecting that girl but if you can hear her yelling at her at the little girl then why does she need witnesses because there was a lot of noise she hit the wall a lot with the ruler and so was the assumption let them know that she wasn't hitting the girl maybe maybe i mean i, I mean, would she think was, she would be more uh <laughs> prone or desiring to hit the little white boys and I'm sure she could have been gotten away with it. My, I'm wagering that if if it had, if we were all sitting in the class and she went in there with the little black girl and, and yelled and smacked the wall like that and everything, some dumb dumb in that classroom is going to be asked what happened and they're going to be like, all I know is there was a lot of noise, a lot of hitting. I'm just and saying, if I was over. a black teacher in the what what time frame would this been? This would have been the 80s, L- early 80s too, right? Early 80s. Because you're like 120, early. yeah. Um, yeah. early eighties mm-hmm. and I'm a black female teacher. I'm bringing you that are? little girl. I'm bringing that little girl back there and I'm being like, like Look. the way I'm dealing with these little crackers. Yeah. All right. right. I'm going to yell at you a little bit. She Let's had see. a master's degree and stuff and she, yet she was teaching first grade. So there, I don't know if you, if you pencil her life together, it was, it was a unique one. And I, I, I don't know. I can't for the life of me figure out her strategy, but all I know is there was always a witness. That's just odd to me. Yeah, me it's too. It's very odd. Me too. Yeah. But Anyways, Bernie's doing well in school. Also found numerous articles throughout his middle and high school years of him receiving multiple academic awards. So he was top of his class. I mean, smart kid, bright kid, friendly kid, hmm. um, popular kid. In 1968, after landing a job at McMurray University, Bernie's father, Burhart, moves his family to Abilene, Texas, and they get a house at 2309 Regent Drive. Now, that house is still there to this day, relatively unchanged. In 1969, one year later, after moving to to, uh, Abilene, when he's 12 years old, one of Bernie's uncles begins molesting him. Dang it. Yeah. And he sexually abuses him without his family knowledge for the next six years. Until Bernie turns 18. So there it is. It was only a matter of time. I mean, you're, if you're underage and you're roaming around Texas, you're going to catch a finger. <laughs> Should we specify it's that you would do? You would catch that in the 60s, just in case there's anybody that currently lives there. Right, in the 60s. Okay. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> only in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, this goes on for the next six years, like I said, his uncle molesting him, starting at 12 years old until he turns 18. This will be important later in the story. Okay. 6 p.m. Wednesday, November 28th, 1973, Bernie's father, Burhart, dies, unfortunately, after a short illness at 61 years old. Bernie is 15 years old at the time and is absolutely devastated by this news. He just keeps going, though. Now his uh, biological mother is dead. Died by natural causes in a car wreck. His his mm-hmm. father is dead. All he's got left now is his sister and his stepmother. In 1975, at 17 years old, 
Bernie discovers his love of theater when he lands the role of a general in his high school play of The Devil's Disciple. I stopped for a moment to see if that rang any bells in your head, The Devil's Disciple. Nope. Oh, okay. It's good because it's also just a boring play. (laughs) It's really, it doesn't matter for the story. Uh, But the role that he played of General landed him an award for the best supporting actor at a banquet at the Jamaica Inn Annual Thespian Banquet. So that's a pretty big deal. That is very specific. At the Jamaica Inn. There. Yeah. (laughs) Best supporting actor. That's That's a big deal. Sure is. He was also president of the school's Thespian Society in 1975 and 1976. So his good to know that we were that open-minded back then. I mean, today, I mean, now, like my when I go to the high school here, there's we're very progressive, and there are societies for all types. But I didn't know that we we were really accepting of the thespians back then. Yeah, if you're wondering, I don't know what you think a thespian is, but if you're wondering what a thespian is, it's just a fancy word that actors and actresses use to make themselves feel important. It's just a person that pretends to be another person. Can you... an actor or actress. Oh, okay, that defines it. So can you be a thespian and then decide that you don't want to be a thespian anymore? Sure, sure you can. You could change 2022, baby. I guess it's 2023 now, actually. What are... How many different options do you have if you decided not to be a thespian? Like, how, uh, you can just more make than a hundred options. You, you can, can just make up something else and be that. Over a hundred different. That's the oh. rules. Yeah. Well, more power to him in the 1975 president of the schools, Bernie. That that's that's heartwarming. I didn't know we were treating thespians that well back then. Bernie graduated from Cooper High School in Abilene, Texas in 1976 and then attended and graduated from Mortuary School where he graduated top of his class. So he was best at making dead people look like they are just taking a nap in fancy clothes. The best at it. The best best at it. He was best at making dead people look like they were taking naps in fancy clothes. Yeah. In August of 1985, he gets a job at Hawthorne Funeral Home in Carthage, Texas, And that funeral home was located at 307 West Wellington Street, still there to this day. Funeral homes, for whatever reason, and all the episodes we've ever done, usually are still there, interestingly enough. I guess nothing provides more job security than death, aside from maybe pizza. Well, if you think about it, it stands to reason that a funeral home would would be able to stick around that long. I mean, you really don't have to do much to preserve them because they kind of preserve themselves. Dead simple, really, if you think about it. Mm. Yeah. I feel like I'm talking too much. You're not. It's just... mm. He quickly became the... Yeah. Yeah. He quickly became the assistant funeral home director because the owner of Hawthorne Funeral Home loved Bernie so much. Bernie was extremely good at his job, and his boss considered him a perfect employee. And by that, I guess he was never caught, you know, I don't know, fooling around sexually with the bodies or drawing dicks on their forehead or anything like that. He's just never drawn dicks on just that's what they said about Bernie's is never draw dicks on foreheads of any of the any of the corpses. Not once. Not one dick on the forehead. He never like whenever they walked in and he was working on the body, he never like grabbed the vagina lips and was like, look at this. And like <laughs> me <laughs> Wow. He's very professional, Bernie was. 
respectful to the court. Imagine this. If we have not. He never like grabbed the base of one of the dead body's wieners and went. Like shook it. You know how they say sometimes you'll never see it if you're not looking for it. Never see what? Well, in this case, what I'm the dicks on the forehead. Is, well, we can I we you could probably you could probably put a number to if you were really super smart and did data well a number of dicks on the foreheads that have been that have been done in funeral homes. But do you know what we've probably lost track of because we've never actually been looking for it? What fours on the dickheads? Some people drawing foreheads on dickheads. Fours, just a four on a dickhead. Oh, okay. Now you think about that. Think about how many have been lost to history. Shriveled up in time. That's a good point. And I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, we could dig up some of the work that Bernie did in the 80s now and get get all the makeup off the forehead and right there it is. It's a dick. He could have just covered it up with me. Maybe that was his thing, his calling card. We would never know because of all the makeup they put on afterwards, so... Yeah, but, you wonder if that's a thing. Like, like, like they sign their their work and then they cover it up with the makeup. Maybe I'll bet you we never know that. There's no way we'd ever know. Nope. Bernie was very good with the bodies, particularly makeup and hair. He was also good at comforting the families during the during the services. He was known to check in on grieving family members of the dead for weeks after his responsibilities had ended, just to make sure they were still doing all right. He really cared. Like he genuinely cared about grieving families and making sure everything was okay. He 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 went far past what was asked of him, above and beyond, because he genuinely cared about people. I like that. He sang in the choir. He was very active in his church. Uh, Bernie sponsored Little League teams and volunteered at the local community college. He worked there at the community college with the music and theater departments. Theater departments. He was on the Chamber of Commerce Christmas Decorating Committee. Um, uh, something that they bring up in the movie that you think has to be made up, but it's not. He really was in real life on the Chamber of Commerce Christmas Decorating Committee. This guy's life plays out like in a season of Shit's Creek. Yes, yes. He wow. took hot meals to shut-ins, and uh, more than one Carthage resident referred to Bernie as "quote an angel." Unquote. The people of Carthage loved him. They loved him. He was one of the most popular residents, especially the older women. Older women loved Bernie Tedian. But yeah, I mean, he's he's very busy, very busy man, always moving, always moving, and always doing something for the, for the community. He he wanted to be anything that he felt would better the people of his community and his community. He was there for yeah, no matter what it is. And that was genuine, it genuine, felt genuine, genuine. Yes, yeah. Um, everybody in Carthage described, described, described Bernie as gentle, sweet, and good-natured, generous to a fault. Generous to the point that he would put himself in financial stress to help somebody else. There are very few of us in the world that are like that. Very few. Very few of us. Very few. Bernie was very nice. He made everybody that he came in contact with feel important and special. By that, I mean he would remember everything that you told him in a past conversation and then bring it up five months later, even if you just knew him in passing. And that's a talent. That's hard to do. Yes. I mean, it, it takes a lot of it, – it takes empathy and compassion to be able to remember that many things about somebody and at, for total recall at, like, important t- – <laughs> 
Do you remember that one time when you said sower? <laughs> oh my gosh, I just did it. Yeah. Yeah, except it was to make me feel bad. Wow. Yeah. Well, I can't. Yeah, he did that, but it was to make feel people feel good and not less. Yeah. Think about your vocabulary, how far it's come. Yeah, I said, I said sewer, and I couldn't stop saying sewer. And I was like, I kept looking up sewer, and I just talk, kept talking about waste. And it turned out the person, their occupation was a sewer. A sewer. They sewer. worked in cloth. Yeah. Not, yeah. not poops. Nope. They didn't work in poops. You said that, and I remembered it. And so. I did, I did say that. It just naturally came up. Oh, yeah. that's fun. I'm glad you remembered that. Bernie was a people pleaser op. He he needed to mm. be liked and he wanted to be liked and he and his friends were very important to him. He was always single. Nobody ever knew of Bernie ever having a, a significant other. And even though he could have easily had a woman there in Carthage, he wasn't interested. Bernie T Tita could have had many women in Carthage. The girls wooed over him. I mean, he wasn't particularly good looking, but he was just so popular and well liked that he wouldn't have had a problem getting a woman if he wanted. But the reason that Bernie Tita didn't have a woman in Carthage and wasn't interested is because Bernie Tita was gay. Well, we covered this. Did we really? Yeah. When? Remember in high school, he was president of the thespians. He was- <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. we already. I guess I already blew that wad. Yeah, when I told him he was president of the Thespian Club, yeah. I thought we were all on the same page. Cat was already out of the hat. Yeah, it was. Bernie was gay. And I mean, listening to him talk for more than three seconds makes it pretty obvious. And uh, we can be like, no, that doesn't mean that, you know, you can't judge somebody. I mean, you can. 95% of the time you can. Maybe 5% of the time you can't. But you can tell when somebody's, if if they have, yeah. You can't a lot of the time. A lot of a lot of people when they hear me talk, they they until they like Facebook stalk my wife, they they kind of a lot of people think I might be gay. Yeah, I can see that. I'm still wondering. I've known you forever. Um, yeah, not the, it's not the case with women. I don't think you can't tell when a woman is gay. But I think with a lot of men, um, not all men, obviously the 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 more masculine because you know you've got the in a in a man and man relationship, you usually have one that's the giver and one that's the taker. And I always feel like the more the giver of the relationship, sometimes you, it's not hard. It's hard to tell, but the more effeminate well, think, gay man, you, you can always tell, you can always tell. Yeah. Right. And Bernie was the well, effeminate top. Yeah. That makes fine. Sense. Whatever. Sure. Yeah. The, the reason I'm bringing this up is this is a gay man that was beloved by everybody in his town in an extremely conservative town. In Texas. In, in Texas. The 60s. In the 80s. 70s, this is this At this point, we're 80s. in the 80s and getting ready to be in the All 90s. Right. Wow. Only 18% of the population of Panola County voted Democrat in the 2020 election. <laughs> That's saying something. Yeah. Now, am I saying that, you know, all conservatives are homophobes? I'm absolutely not saying that. That's fucking ridiculous. That's some CNN narrative bullshit. But are conservatives more likely to be homophobes? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. All conservatives are not homophobes, but I think they would be more likely. And the fact that he, this whole town loves him and they're all, most of them, almost all of them are conservative. I think that's saying something about him. And we're also talking about an obviously gay man. We're not talking about somebody that sounded and looked like John Wayne 
and was quietly going to Portland, you know, every other month and doing stuff. Like, this is a guy that sounds like this. Very, yeah, you know. Very, it's evident that he's comfortable in his skin. Yeah, and the movie kind of talks about that where they're like, yeah, I mean, there was, Bernie was never open about his sexuality, but they all knew. They talk about that in the movie, actually, how like, you know, everybody knew, you know, there was a lot of rumors and everything. But, yeah. I mean, it's well, pretty honestly, obvious. I think that says something about him and his character that, and I, I love that. I love that kind of a, a a person in society that can kind of exceed the bounds of of labelism and what color their parachute should be. And just because he's so genuine and everything, it, you could not, you could, you could not, not like him. Exactly, it was impossible. I think it's beautiful. Even like the old, uh, I've seen interviews with like old farmers, the kind of guys that have a a chew of tobacco in their mouth and spit and have a crinkled old dirty hat and probably use the N-word a lot. Yeah. Loved him. Loved him. They loved him. All of them. On Saturday, March 24th, 1990, it's a bad day for Bernie Tita. Because uh, 33-year-old Bernie, this is the day he meets 75-year-old Marjorie Ann Nugent at the Hawthorne Funeral Home for the first time after Marjorie's husband, Roderick Matthew Nugent, had passed away and Bernie was responsible for handling the service. Mm. Now, Bernie had also done the embalming of Roderick. He had helped pick out a coffin. He'd helped pick out a headstone. He'd arranged the flowers. He sang the hymn at the memorial service, and he escorted Marjorie to and from Rod's grave like he did with all the old ladies. He even gave her his coat because it was chilly outside at the time. She ended up even wearing it home. That's theft. (laughs) That is theft, but you'll see why somebody like Marjorie doesn't care about that sort of thing. Because of her reputation, uh, which we'll get into in a minute, Bernie felt bad for her. Now, like we've already said, Bernie, very popular in Carthage. Marjorie, not popular in Carthage. She was basically the yin to Bernie's yang. Marjorie Nugent was worth over $5 million. Whoa. Her husband was in the oil business. He had made loads of money in the 60s and 70s. Uh, I would go into his job and what he did, but it was complex, boring, and would likely put any listener to sleep just talking about it. As a matter of fact, I'm getting tired just thinking about it, but it involved leases and land acquisition and well contracts for the mobile oil company. Long story short, though, made him very rich. You got to be careful. I've talked to many an oil tycoon, and they start yammering and to keep someone's attention with that, it's a slippery slope. Yeah, that's why they make so much money because you're going to be able to stay awake to do the job. Yeah. It's like, no. Oil, oil, you'll be fired. Oh, that was terrible. Now, Roderick was also a banker and the chairman of the board of the First National Bank in Carthage and had been for 14 years prior to his death. So he was an oil man and a banker. Ugh. He was... Get this. Nobody ever put these two pieces together. You're hearing it here first, people. Roderick was the Roderick was the chairman of the first national bank, and he also had claims to one of the first natural banks. Oh, yeah. Huh? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Crazy. That is crazy, but true. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, he's an oil man and a banker. It's like two of the greasy jobs. 
but grease, but like white collar greasy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he was just yeah. it, all he needed to be after this is a lawyer to be the trifecta of greasiness. Yeah, he's white grease. He's like lithium grease. Everybody wants it. Nobody knows what to do with it. Anyways, by the time he had died, Marjorie Nugent was the richest woman in Carthage by proxy. She was left with all of it, all of his money, everything. She's she's worth over $5 million at this point. Um, doesn't matter to her, to her, though, because she had come from wealth. Anyway, she had been born in Panola, which is the county Carthage is in. Her grandfather had already owned multiple businesses in the area in the late 1800s and early 1900s, and the wealth had just got passed down. She was raised with a silver spoon shoved sideways up her ass. And then she married Roderick, which was a man who ended up just having nothing but kitchen jars full of more silver spoons because he didn't exactly come from poverty himself. I wouldn't use any of those spoons. Yeah, right? That's not what you're supposed to do with spoons. No. I don't know what rich people do with spoons. They eat a lot of soup. Rich people always eat soup. Yeah. Why do we why do rich people eat so much soup? And it's always watery soup. It's never mm. like hearty, chunky soup. I don't know. Am I wrong? No, you well, if we're going by Hollywood standards and everything. I am. I don't know any rich people. So I'm going Yeah. I, I'm, I'm from a town that's known for meth. I've never known any rich people, but in Hollywood, in the movies, they always eat watery soup. I would say that maybe one of the reasons is that gobbing a a broth with a bunch of random objects that you can eat, a lot of gourmetists would look at that as phoning it in, whereas the, the ability to create a reduction... And and think of the diverse number of ways in which you could create a, a broth and how different they could all taste. It's like, what can you mix with chocolate? You know, all the things. And but as soon as you throw objects into the soup, you're you're basically, you know, you're ignoring the the quality of the the base. Right. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing here. Well, long story short, what I'm saying up is uh, this woman Marjorie. She had more silver spoons in her ass than Albert Fish had needles in his gooch. Whoa. (laughs) She had a grown son named Roderick Jr. who was a successful pathologist. She had four grandchildren, and she didn't really give a fuck about any of them. They They didn't visit, and she didn't want them to. She even had a sister that lived in town, but they hadn't spoken in 20 years. Sounds like a great lady. No, it's going to get worse. To put it bluntly, because I have no diplomacy whatsoever... Everybody in Carthage fucking hated Marjorie Nugent, and it was her own goddamn fault. Do tell. They thought she was a stuck-up, mean, and, well, just a grouchy old bitch (laughs) that thought she was better than everybody. Everyone, as far as Marjorie was concerned, was beneath her. Uh... As one local put it, quote, her nose is stuck so damn high up that if it rained, she would have drowned. Unquote. <laughs> Classic Southern. Oh. Her own family has written articles about how horrible this woman was. Wow. After her murder. <laughs> okay, so so when you said victim blaming, it's We're almost here. qualified this because is it. it's journalistic. This is going to be our victim. <laughs> okay. 
All right. But what I'm saying is, you know how it's the usual, oh, she just lit up a room when she was Mm -hmm. the life of a party. God damn it. She just smiled. She was born smiling. She came out of the cunt just to smile and and she smiled until the day she was stabbed to death. Uh, just lit up a room. She farted rainbows, and uh, she made casseroles. They were delicious. None of that shit with Marjorie Nugent, not with this woman. Her own sister, Meryl Rhodes, said that she was, quote, the devil on earth, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's hard. That's amazing. And those people know her best, probably, right? Yes. Her nephew... Joe Rhodes, who you will hear more from later in this episode, had this to say about the memories he had of his aunt. Quote, Aunt Marge once threatened to put me in a mental institution because I wouldn't cut my hair. She chased me around her yard with with garden shears because I wouldn't clean out a wasp nest with my bare hands. When I was 14, she locked me in her house for two days and wouldn't let me call home. Finally, when Aunt Marge went to the grocery store, the maid, sympathetic to my plot, unlocked the bedroom door so I could get to the phone and beg my mother to come rescue me. She did, and that was the last time I ever went to Aunt Marge's house. Now, there were darker stories that I, even I, I don't want to go, go, go into, but Aunt Marge who loved, by the way, to sew and shop and didn't have a daughter of her own, tried to get custody of my sister one time, Carrie, by having our parents declared unfit. She claimed that my father was an alcoholic, which wasn't true. He barely ever drank. And that she could provide a more suitable upbringing. It didn't work. But apparently she was serious enough to meet with attorneys. Unquote. Wow. But the the, uh, entitlement... To just take somebody's kids. That's amazing. Yeah, a lot of entitlement here. And I think that's a side effect of being raised with a silver spoon shoved up your ass. You know what? I'm starting to see some parallels here, actually. Think about this. When you have metal in your groin, you take other people's children. That's (laughs) That's true. I didn't really. That's fair. We should start looking through history and figure out if there's See if there's a correlation between metal in the groin and stealing children. Yeah. But how dirty is it to lie about somebody to try to take their child from them? Well, she probably had, it sounds like one of her sons had probably gained some tutelage from her because he was a, did you say he was a professional pathologist? He was a pathologist, yeah. They never talked. They didn't talk. He's a professional liar that... It's weird that he'd <clears throat> Now back lie. to the story. Yeah. After the service, so after Roderick's service, Marjorie's husband, Bernie did start visiting Marjorie to check up on her like he did with all the older women. It was 100% innocent because they had vaginas and Bernie preferred the taste of a penis. Yeah. They had nothing that he was interested in. He did this with all the old women that he did the services for. He started inviting Marjorie to go places with him. He took her shopping. He took her out to dinners. And uh, this is a quote from Bernie. Quote, and I'm going to try to do my best Bernie in question. Best Bernie impression. Uh, Jack Black kind of nails it, but I'm going to try to do it. Here we go. Quote. It just seemed like she didn't have any friends. I felt this compelling desire, this need to give her some friendship. I don't know. Maybe I thought I could rescue her. 
unquote. That was really good. Within weeks of the funeral, Bernie had moved in with her at her home there at 111 Dixie Lake Road and had become her personal assistant and bookkeeper. Now, that massive house is still there to this day. Roderick had built it, had it built in the uh, late 80s. But it has been blocked out on Google, so you can't look at it. And I don't know what legal things you have to go through to have it blocked out. If you try to look at it on Google, it's just a blur. It won't let you really? see Really? It. Yeah, it's weird. Very weird. But this is a family that has money. They probably paid to have that done. Um, and you'll see a lot more about them later. Mm, that's unique. I've never heard of that, but I'm sure you're I've right. Seen it. I've come probably... across this before in, in episodes. Huh. Uh, Marjorie and uh, Bernie, they went on trips. They went to Dallas, New York, to Broadway shows. They went to San Francisco and Las Vegas. They even went to other countries. Hong Kong, Bangkok, Thailand, Russia, Egypt, Germany, Austria, Sweden, France. They cruised the Nile. They cruised the Rhine. They went on shopping sprees and got fancy meals. She even bought Bernie a $7,000 Rolex watch. Money was nothing to Marjorie, and she footed the bill for all of it. There was never any hanky-panky. None. They got very close. They were friends. They were best friends. And Marjorie, and I think maybe Marjorie did have a little bit of a crush on Bernie, but obviously Bernie wasn't interested. Yeah. And this isn't a rumor. This is me speculating. I mean, he wasn't like a horrible looking guy and he's much younger than her and he's sweet and caring. You know, I, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say maybe she had a little bit of a crush on him. I would say that, you know, that just seems to be a natural byproduct of of uh, women's affection is is uh, many women can overlook physical attributes and and be attracted to stability and and someone who they truly care for and everything. Yeah. You know, my wife does it every day. Yeah, mine too. (laughs) I, I and in my case, I think it's she truly cares Maybe she's contractually obligated to care. Like I'm her, she's my caseworker. I'm not sure. Haven't looked into it. Your wife? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you guys have kids now, so you got it on lock, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Yo. Hey. Marjorie spoiled Bernie as long as he jumped at her every word and never got anything wrong. Mm. He was her little lap dog. She even bought him a pager so that she could get a hold of him while he was at work and at all times. She would page him between three and five times an hour on some days while he was trying to work and would continue doing so until he finally dropped anything he was doing, even if that was some dude's organs, and would call her so that she could make him run errands. Wow. Can you imagine? Yeah. Did you ever date a girl like this? I mean, they're not dating, but this is a very controlling relationship type thing i i remember being in a relationship like this i i was always the very uh no no i was never mysterioso you were always the controller no i was that's what it sounded like you were getting i was always the one controlling no i my flaw i think in dating and everything was i i thought i was going to marry everybody you know and so right uh i and i so i was never mysterious enough like i was never i could never figure out how those guys that are like you know girl comes up starts talking to them and they just like ignore them or you know somehow offhandedly insult them or something and then i i wished i was that guy because they got all the ladies but i could didn't do that so I didn't, 
I did have one girlfriend one time for a while where I get phone calls from my from my roommates and be like, "Hey, um, you coming soon? She's here." And that you know, she would just come and like wait. I dated a girl that had to know where I was every second of every day, and it didn't make me want to kill her, but it did make me want to kill myself. It's interesting. It was awful. Did you know that there is? I mean, in this day and age with technology and everything that there is someone that knows where you are every second of every day. Yeah, it's you. Jesus. And you. And me. <laughs> In 1993, three years into their friendship, Marjorie talks Bernie into quitting his job so that he can, so that he can wait on her hand and foot 24 hours a day, seven days a week. She pays him $900 a week, and that's on top of the money that... She, I mean, he... He could have anything he wanted, really. So the $900 a week was kind of meaningless. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like giving your kids allowance, but knowing that when you go to Walmart, they can have whatever they want anyway, that kind of thing. It's a good, you know? good amount of change, though, if you think about it. Like, could you imagine making $900 a week? Oh, it's a great a check. $900 a week. And this is in 1993. Yeah. But what I'm saying is Bernie kind of could spend her money as he pleased. She encouraged that. Uh, so did, really, this was more pomp and circumstance, not uh, not formality. It was a formality. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Bernie eventually even gets power of attorney for her and can write checks from her bank accounts. What? And he does so. A lot. Like I said, she encouraged it because she told many people on several occasions that she, quote, didn't want to leave one thin dime to any of her family when she died. Wow. Unquote. She wanted to have anything and she had planned on spending every dollar before she died. She wanted to die broke. That's what she wanted. Hmm. Now, Bernie was very devoted to Marjorie and uh, people in town said that for the first time since they've ever known her, and keep in mind, Marjorie's grew up here. She, this has been where she was born. For the first time ever, Marjorie, Marjorie seemed happy. Bernie does everything for her. And at six foot three, 270 pounds, he's more than capable. He gave her massages. He shaved her legs. He brushed her hair. He cooked her breakfast every single morning. He made her lunch. He made her dinner. He ran her bath. He did literally everything for her. Now, that being said, Marjorie was 100% able-bodied. She could take care of herself if she wanted. She's old, but she's not like handicapped or crippled. She's got all her facilities. She had some vision problems, but like, I mean, she wasn't blind, you know, but I mean, she could do all this stuff herself if she wanted, but she wanted a little bitch. That's basically what she wanted. Are you hung up where I'm hung up on this? What? Ugh, that leg shaving. Like, what about it? <laughs> That's thin skin. Uh, that, but also, like... Yeah, you got to be careful. Yeah, we got... We, Old you, women's skin on the legs. So it's going to nick a vein. Yeah. It depends on season, I guess, too. Also, wardrobe, but I would put the bot... I would put a woman's leg shaving in three categories. It's winter, which is you might shave ankles or nothing, and then every other season... And then based on that, you've, you you break it down into two different categories. Those that are just like phone it in. Hey, no one ever sees above mid thigh. So they- you got to keep in mind, man, they're globe trotting. Yeah, they're going on cruises. They're going so she's, to beaches. She's probably they're, bikinis and yeah. 
old lady bikinis, but still. So he's shaving all the way up. He's. Uh, I thought you were going to say something else because I'm getting ready to go ahead and stomp out the, uh, you know, maybe that is a fucking. Okay. All right. Yeah. So get there. Suspicions. That'll, that'll help. Now, me. first off, like I said, Bernie was gay, mm-hmm. but uh, Bernie later said that he looked at Marjorie more like a mother figure. Mm. She was a friend, but she was more like, he looked at her like a mother figure. And when Bernie was asked if Marjorie knew that he was gay, he just said, quote, we never talked about it. It, it just never came up. Mm. Really? Unquote. Interesting. Kind of doubt it. But I'd say she knew. Yeah. Because like I said, talk to him for three seconds. You kind of know. Right. Now, she eventually makes Bernie the sole beneficiary in her will. And this is when the family starts getting mad. The family that didn't really have anything to do with her, they suddenly get very upset. Suddenly they care. Uh huh. And you're going to see a lot of this in this story. This family doesn't ever really get involved until the money is in danger. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Until their future finances that they're hoping to inherit are in danger. That's when they start getting tore up. And that's when the, the what do they call them? Dragon? T- rep- crocodile tears? Crocodile tears. Yeah. So yeah. as long as she's gallivanting around and seems relatively healthy and sane, they're fine. But as soon as uh, it seems like they're they're seeing their their own inheritance start being risked then they start they start caring about marjorie yeah yeah now over time marjorie does become more abusive she was already abusive but she it gets worse as it does in relationships like these usually uh she was controlling of bernie before but it got way worse she began wanting to know where he was at all times he couldn't even scratch his nutsack with being told how useless he was and that he was doing it wrong. She also hated any friends that he had and refused to let him have them. She was very jealous of him, and as far as she was concerned, his life was to revolve around her and her only. He belonged to her. Yeah, she's a narcissist. This relationship, yeah, this is, I think, a side effect of being raised wealthy and being taught that everybody's below you. Yeah, there was a Twitter. People become property. There was a question on Twitter a little while ago, and it was, what do you think is the number one thing that rich people have ruined in the world? And uh, I just replied with kids. Yeah, that's true. So look at Tom Hanks train wreck of a fucking son. Pick any of them. Hunter Biden. Look, wait, Tom Hanks. You're going to lose listeners over that. Uh, But it's true. Tom Hanks' son is Hunter Biden? No, Tom Hanks' son is a fucking train wreck, though. Oh, yeah. This relationship, I feel, between Bernie and Marjorie is very reminiscent of uh, abusive relationships between uh, when men are the controllers of women and abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. Where they start wanting, she's not allowed She's not allowed to leave the house. She's not allowed to have friends. Cut them off. Their sole existence is to serve you. Yeah. Yeah, and it happens, and... Uh... It's one of those frog in a pot type of things because sometimes it's very evident and then other times it just kind of creeps in there, you know? Yeah. And so often it's behind closed doors. In September of 1996, Bernie Tita starts fantasizing about killing Marjorie. Now, initially, he wanted to just hit her over the head with a baseball bat that she kept in the garage. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he was worried that he wasn't strong enough to kill her in one hit and was very adamant about her not suffering. Later, Bernie said, quote, 
I enjoyed being around her in the beginning, but she, she just became very hateful, evil, and wicked. Very possessive over my life. She was just so controlling. She felt like she could own me, and I, and I guess to some, some degree she did. It was like that feeling I've read in some books about spousal abuse. That type of thing where a woman keeps going back to her husband even though she knows she shouldn't. I felt like that sometimes. I felt like I was in a prison. Yeah, I can understand that. Marjorie's nephew, Joe, said, quote, Bernie's not the first one that thought about killing her. He's just the first one that went through with it. Oh, snap. Man, they really didn't like her. <laughs> they truly did not like that woman. Oh, if you talk to her family now, not not Joe or the sisters, but the ones that really wanted that will money, mm -hmm. they were very close. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. They were very close. Uh-huh. Yeah, they were very close. Yeah, they cared a lot. Early morning, Tuesday, November 19th, 1996. Bernie shows up at Marjorie's house at around 7 a.m. that morning and makes her breakfast and coffee like he did every morning. She begins berating him like every morning over some stupid mundane shit. He then tells Marjorie that he's going home to take a shower. He had moved out at some point and gotten his own place again. It was a very modest, it was like a $50,000 house. Probably to get away from her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He probably felt like, like he was suffocating. But he then tells Marjorie that he's going to go home and take a shower. And he asked her to go with him later to Longview to take some suits to the dry cleaners and maybe get some Chinese food. And she agrees. Hmm. She's berating him as he leaves. And before he leaves, he moves a Browning 22 caliber rifle that Marjorie kept in the deep freeze closet in the hallway to a small bathroom in the hallways closest in the hallway closest to the garage. Now Marjorie had used this little 22 rifle to kill armadillos, crows, and blackbirds that were in her yard. And this is a what the lawyers will later use as a sign of premeditation. Because he, he this moved, rifle because he moved it. He moved it, uh -huh. yeah. Okay. Bernie goes home. He showers and comes back to Marjorie's house at around 10 a.m. that morning. And uh, as Bernie is walking behind Marjorie down the hallway, out of the house and into the garage to get into the car, he, he retrieves the rifle from that bathroom in the hallway. Marjorie's badgering him about something. Standing in the middle of the garage, she still doesn't see he's holding the rifle. She reaches down to pet her dog, which was a chow mix named Bo. And uh, that's when Bernie raises the rifle and puts one round in her back. Risky move with the twenty two. Yeah, it's like one step above a BB gun. Yeah. I always, yeah, I always get like... He doesn't know this. Yeah. he. Do, I mean, he. this isn't a guy that's familiar with firearms. He probably sees a rifle and he's like, ah, that, that'll do. Yeah, I can't blame him, but I just thought my hands always get sweaty thinking about yeah how many times you might end up having to shoot somebody with. Yeah, and that's exactly what happens here because she drops face down into the garage floor but is still alive, which is not what he wanted. Like I said, he wanted to kill her with a bat, but the reason he didn't do that because he was afraid she would suffer. Yeah. Oof. She's laying there still breathing heavily and gasping for air now, and Bernie panics. Um, he thought one round would be enough. He thought that she would just drop dead. That's the way it happens in movies, right? Yeah. It's not the way it happens in real life, and it's certainly not the way it happens with a twenty-two caliber rifle. No. <laughs> Actually, depending on who it is you shoot, you might shoot somebody with a twenty-two caliber rifle, and then they beat your ass. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh it's one of those nah, not even worth talking about. And then you go home, they go home and get a band-aid and <laughs> put it on it. Yeah. Even though you shot him in the fucking forehead. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. Bernie runs up and shoots her three more times in the back as she lays there in the floor of the garage with a twenty two caliber rifle. Now look, this is terrible. This is horrible. This is murder. Yeah. Flat out. Nobody's arguing that. At least I'm not. Should not have done this. And he certainly should have done what he's getting ready to do. Because Bernie then goes to the Amana brand deep freeze and removes a large amount of the items inside. Just enough room for her to fit inside. He drags Marjorie's body by the feet up the steps into the hallway of the house and to the deep freeze closet, and then puts her body into the deep freeze, that that Amana brand deep freeze. He covers the body with a white Land's End brand sheet. And I looked the value of a Land's End brand sheet up, and they go in the neighborhood of fucking $180. And I have never slept on no $200 sheet. Have you up? Um, Let's say no, but also Land's End, everything is expensive. It's like... I never heard of it. Land's, never heard of it. Land's End is 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 the is you got the Sears catalog, right? Yeah. And you could back in the day you could order directly from the Sears catalog. You could call them up and give them the part numbers and they would send it to you. Land's End started as the same thing. It was mail order. You'd receive your Land's End catalog and it would be clothing and all sorts of things, but it was more like ordering from Banana Republic or some frou-frou you know, place. So Land's End was expensive. Yeah, I don't know. I think all of our sheets came from Family Dollar. Yeah. <laughs> and if you uh, move around on them, it sounds like you're rolling around on one of those colorful wind suits from the early 90s. <laughs> <laughs> great in a hurricane, not great to sleep If you on. slide across them on your knees, it's going to leave a wound. <laughs> You slide across, it superheats your knee because you get like a plastic (laughs) overlay burn on it. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, and that's if they don't tear. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Impervious to urine, I found out, though, so that's good. They also make your back sweat, like, a lot. Like sleeping on a fucking garbage bag. (laughs) You cut weight every night when you go to bed. (laughs) After he's got Marjorie's body in the freezer, he puts a bunch of freezer items back on top of her corpse. Closes it and begins cleaning. He washed out the garage floor with a water hose to get rid of the blood. Sweeps up the shell casings, puts them in the trash, cleans the blood out of the hallway, and then goes about his day. He goes to a rehearsal at the Panola College of a production of Guys and Dolls. That night, he buys a din- he buys dinner at Pizza Hut for the cast of it. Just goes about his life. Wow. And he goes about his life up for the next nine months. Bernie just went on with his life. Mm. Now, remember, he has power of attorney and he can sign all her checks. He continued to sing and print. He continued to sing and preach at church. He continued to take care of Marjorie's bills and make sure her yard was mowed. Her driveway was swept. He told the people of Carthage when they asked about her a, a mixture of lies about where Marjorie Nugent was. She was sick to one. She was on vacation. She had had a series of many strokes and was in the hospital, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and this is a quote from Bernie. Quote, I was freaking out. 
Oh, good gracious. I thought every moment I was going to be found. Unquote. And, and, and any, any thoughts at this, like, you know how you were talking about how my life was like this Norman Rockwell painting, blah, 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 and all the stuff. Like, it doesn't seem to, like, he, he lived in a community where he was fully accepted. So you could kind of rule out the whole, like, feeling like a black sheep kind of thing. No, that's not a case here because they loved him. Yeah. I, like, I'm, I'm struggling to see, like, Except for the fact that she probably, like, I don't know, this is just my opinion. It sounds like she straight up deserved it, but. Everybody that, hated her so much. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe deep in his brain, he felt like he was doing the community a favor. Maybe. <laughs> I'm guessing you we're know in a more little than bit, I do. <laughs> in a little bit, we're going to learn that maybe there was more to it than that. Okay. All right. And as far as Bernie was concerned, psychologically, mm. there was more to it than that. Yeah. Over the nine months, he spends more than $2 million of Marjorie's money. Wow. $2 million. Dang. But uh, most of that was donated. Donated? Donated. He gave a huge chunk of money to the First Methodist Church, where he was a member. He bought brand new sports vehicles for at least 10 members of the community and also gave them large sums of money. Mm. He bought several planes and hangars and had them installed at the Panola County Airport. I'm going to go out on a limb right now and say for two million bucks to him to do all that, he probably also he sounds like a great bargain finder because that's, that's a lot of stuff. for. Two We're not million. talking about Boeing 747s. Oh, hobby yeah. planes. Mm, OK. And all while all while this is going on, he kept driving his shitty old car and stayed in his fifty thousand dollar house. Wow. He invested in a boot scooting Western wear shop in Panola. <laughs> I wish I made that up. I didn't. Wow. It's not a punchline. You know, cowboy clothing and accessories are somehow simultaneously the most masculine and the most gay attire out there, strictly depending on the situation in which they're being worn. You are not kidding. You can see a brawny man on horseback out running cattle with a lasso and think to yourself, you know, God damn, that's a manly man. That dude has never seen another man below the belt. Doesn't even know if they have legs. He is definitely not gay. <laughs> but somehow, if you're in Los Angeles and you see that exact same outfit, some guy in chaps and a cowboy hat, you're like, I bet that dude's breath smells like dicks right now. <laughs> it's wild how cowboy attire is unique like that. It strictly is. depends on where you see it being worn. Yeah, and they know they know the difference between like a a a blue and a jade because they'll tell you if they're wearing they're, the colors and the, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance to Western attire. Just go to a rodeo, you'll find that out. I think the big separator is the rhinestone. Yeah, that's the threshold. Yeah, <laughs> takes you one way or the other. In August of 1997, nine months, nine months, nine months she's been in that deep freezer op. Marjorie Stockbroker, Stockbroker, gets suspicious after she doesn't thank him for sending a Christmas turkey. And even more suspicious when she doesn't show up to sign some important documents that he needed her to sign. Let me reiterate this. The Stockbroker, not the family, begins to worry. <laughs> wow. Now, they're all going to play later that we was close and, you know, we are entitled to what was owed to us, yada, 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 during the trial. But nine fucking months went by. 
that she was in that deep freezer. I would be worried if I went one week without hearing from my mom or grandparents. Also, for all those family members today that saying that they were really close, this is a hard one to explain away. You know, doesn't really fit the right? narrative. Yeah, right. Nine months, and even then, it's the stockbroker. Yeah, but it's that stockbroker that 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 Bernie's house of cards comes falling down because he does call the sheriff's department and tells them that he is concerned about Marjorie Nugent. And on August nineteenth, nineteen ninety seven, officers search her home and discover her body in the deep freeze, on top of some flounder, but underneath some Marie Callender's chicken pot pies. <laughs> Not a joke. Didn't make that up. <laughs> underneath a bunch of chicken pot pies. Which means that when he put her in there, he was like, mm, probably not going to eat the flounder, but want to make sure those chicken pot pies are accessible. Yeah. <laughs> and Bernie does look like the kind of guy that enjoys a good chicken pot pie. <laughs> that was, that's what would piss me off in the afterlife if you put chicken pot pies on. Maybe like a, some pizzas, some DiGiorno's. Mm. I could be yeah. like, I could see that not making me mad. But fucking chicken pot pies. No, dude, I'm haunting your ass. Yeah, me too. Yeah. The freezer, when the cops <laughs> discover her body, they, they leave it undisturbed. They put everything back, close the lid, and then load it onto a flatbed truck and hook it up to a generator. And from there, Marjorie's body inside the freezer is taken to the coroner's office in Dallas, Texas. The coroner had to wait two days to do the autopsy so that Marjorie's body could thaw out. On this, Joe Rhodes, her, her nephew, said, quote, there was something about Aunt Marge ended up in a freezer that seemed appropriate. She'd always been kind of cold-hearted. It was not an unfitting end. Oh, jeez. Uncold. <laughs> wow, you're right. There was not one smile-fills-a-room kind of thing. He went on to say, quote, Aunt Marge wasn't on speaking terms with anyone in her immediate family when she died. Not my mother, with whom she had an ugly falling out over the terms of my grandfather's will, not her only child, Rod Nugent Jr., a successful pathologist she hadn't seen in years, or her grandchildren who sued her over some trust money she wouldn't let them have. Mm. When informed that Marge died, the first thing my Aunt Sue said, which was her sister, was, what a relief. Wow. Unquote. <laughs> Dang. Let me reiterate something here. Her grandchildren, who suddenly care a lot that she hasn't spoken to, Mm-hmm. Yeah. had tried to sue her for some trust money prior. Uh-huh. Are you seeing a, a, a pattern? A pattern here? Literally the only person These are the that, people that cared a lot about her. Uh-huh. Also, the only person that, that thought about going to check on her actually was also motivated by money, if we think money. about it. Money. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The town of Carthage was so much in support of Bernie Tita. Tita that the Panola County District Attorney, Danny Buck Davidson, Danny Buck Davidson, who is played in the movie by Matthew McConaughey, by the way. Mm. And that is not a fitting casting because Danny Buck Davidson is not easy on the eyes if you see real pictures of him. But uh, the District Attorney, Danny Buck Davidson, has to have, he asked the judge overseeing the case for a change of venue. And he said that it was the only time in his 30-year career that he'd ever had to request a venue because he felt there wouldn't be a fair trial because of how much in support 
the people in the town were of the person. Usually a venue request is requested. A venue change is requested because of how much people hate. Enemies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I can't say I've ever heard of that either. Me neither. Me neither. I mean, it, it happens. I'm sure it happens. But in most cases, it's it's bound to happen because it's hard to extract somebody from a place where they're supported so well, you know? Speaking of uh, things being fair, right up, since we're on yeah. the topic, he's changing the mm-hmm. venue because he wants this trial to be fair. Here's an interesting note. And this has never been brought up in any podcast interview or anything ever. I think I'm the one that found it. And this is on things being, you know, neutral, right? That's how that's how court is supposed to be. Right? You're supposed to yeah. look at things with a with a fair lens. I was able to find an art and this is on Danny Buck Davidson, the district attorney in charge of prosecuting Bernie. Mm-hmm. I was able to find an article buried deep in a newspaper newspaper from 1981. And in that article that was talking about four persons responsible for trying to open a new bank in Carthage alongside Roderick Nugent, who was Marjorie's husband that had died. So Roderick Nugent, the oil and business banker, he's trying to open a new bank in Carthage, and he has four friends that he's trying to do that with. Guess who he was business business partners with on that? 1820. Danny Buck Davidson. No. Danny Buck fucking Davidson. Whoa. <laughs> nobody has ever talked about this. Maybe nobody even knows. Maybe they forgot. Isn't that a conflict of interest when the district attorney responsible for prosecuting is close with Marjorie's husband? Yeah, definitely. They were friends, good friends, close enough to enter a business deal together. And that was in the 80s. Wow. That's a big conflict of interest. Bernie's lawyer for the trial was a man named Scrappy Holmes. And the DA, of course, Danny Buck Davidson, and both of them showed up at the trial in Stetsons and cowboy boots. This is like an episode of Andy fucking Griffith if Aunt May had gotten ratatatted by Barney Fife. <laughs> to make a long trial short, Bernie Tita was found guilty of first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Well, did they consider it? Um, well, did. So they so they they determined it was first degree murder. Then be, was there more to it than just the, the, the rifle placement? So hold on a minute. Oh. Now this was nineteen ninety eight, right? All right, when he got yeah, the sentence. Yeah. Right. Bernie then spends the next sixteen years in prison, and is then released on bail in May of two thousand fourteen. Hmm. After new evidence comes forward and is discovered. It wasn't evidence that said Bernie was innocent or anything. He fully admitted to killing Marjorie from the beginning. That's not what we're saying here. But what wasn't brought up in the trial was the fact that Bernie had been molested for eight years in his youth. What does that have to do with anything? Good question. Even the lawyer says, not the lawyer, I'm sorry, the judge believed that this wasn't premeditated murder, he later said. They believe that Bernie had a moment, because Bernie says he doesn't really remember the shooting itself. He felt like he left his body. And I think he reached his breaking point and and the the years of childhood abuse and everything and and feeling I, I don't know but but he had just snapped essentially. I guess you know the math of it it's arguable that he could have felt like a kept man, you know, like just a accessory almost slave of sorts, you know. He was a slave. Woman. Yeah. 
it was also suggested that Teed's confession that he had written had been heavily influenced because the prosecution threatened to leak private videotapes of Bernie and homosexual relationships that they had been that had been found at his house to the community, and they were going to out him oh. if he didn't write the confession. So they forced his conf- not forced his confession. He oh, he was open whenever he was caught. He was like, yeah, here's what happened, mm-hmm. but maybe. They kind of helped him. They were threatening to release these these videos they found of his house of him in homosexual relationships with other men to the community and basically outing him if he didn't phrase things really the way they wanted him phrased. Huh. It's weird because, you know, as a as the police in a community, you'd think that they'd probably be aware of both how the community viewed her and him. You know, and. Mm-hmm. It's interesting yes. that he didn't have any allies in that regard. I mean, not that not that the police should be helping to cover up a murder or anything, but they act, you know, they kind of press the opposite way. Yeah. To just to land a, a what do you call that? Close the case. Because there's no question about who did this. It's not a no. case of who done it. Right. The big question here is premeditated. Because that is the difference between first degree murder or something else. Yeah. Yeah. Big he didn't get a retrial. Bernie got a retrial. He was out of prison for two years during that retrial. A free man. He was on bail, but he was out of prison. Uh, Like I said, he got out in 2014. But in April of 2016, he was once again found guilty of first-degree murder and once again sentenced to life in prison. Dang it. Now, the goal was to get the sentence dropped down, like I said, from first-degree murder because they argued it wasn't premeditated, which I agree with. Yeah. The defense just, painted a picture. The sorry, I was just gonna say it's it's weird. Like I try to put myself in the in the those shoes at that moment when you know he's he's repositioning, relocating the rifle, and I'm trying to think like in my head how 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 self aware you need to be in doing that. And I guess guess it could be argued that uh, that that was sort of a reflex. You know, if he was feeling the way he was. Well, I mean, the defense in the case tried to paint a picture of a man that was just after her money. Yeah. Who wanted her dead so that he could get her will, right? Yeah. But the thing is, something that I haven't brought up yet is Marjorie Nugent was 81 years old when he killed her, and she had a heart condition. Man, yeah, he, she could have. She had maybe five years yeah. left, and that's being generous. I mean, it's hard to say to that that to you know that's like that's like saying to the woman that's being abused, "I'm sorry, there's just nothing to hold him on. We have to wait until he actually does something." You know, to say, "I'm sorry, Bernie, we just you got to wait till she times out naturally before you can get out of this slavitude." But yeah, mm. my well, my argument for that is he had nothing to gain by shooting her. Yeah. There was nothing to gain. Which? Nothing to his gain. His lawyers, I guess, could. And also being so sloppy. This is an intelligent man. Yeah. This, is a, this is a very intelligent man. It was so sloppy of a murderer. I think that's more proof of it not being premeditated. I think he snapped. He fucking snapped. Yeah. Because if it was about the money, all he had to do was wait her out. All yeah. he had to do, she was going to be dead soon. And he was getting that money regardless. Yeah, you're right, but but it's it is. It's really not. It's starting to not look like first degree. With just to give the way he kind of the reflex and, and, and yep, I'm agreeing with you. Look to close this episode, and that's it. Uh, is Bernie Tita a murderer? 
Absolutely. He absolutely is. Should he be in prison? Yes. Yes, he should be. Should he die there? I don't think so. I don't I don't think so. Sometimes things are gray. I think sometimes things are gray. And I think sometimes a human element should be put into the uh into the picture when we're choosing a sentence. Yeah. And we don't ever um we do, we don't ever take into account a human element. I feel like I, I often, you know, we've been doing the podcast for a long time now. I've been a true po- true crime podcast for a long time. And I read about so many cases where stuff is uh, not allowed to be brought up during the court case, mm-hmm. stuff that should be. And it's like, what the fuck, man? That's a big deal. Yeah. That's a big part of this. And they're not even allowed to talk about it. In the last year, we had several trials where the jury made decisions and then the news reported days later that then the jury learned about the other things that they were, weren't were privy to. Exactly. Um, and and the, that, it, that matter. And it ended – a lot of, I mean, it almost ended, gave PTSD to the jurors because they're like, this would have changed everything. But at the yeah. same time, it's, oh, that's a two-edged, it's a double-edged sword, I guess. As far as Bernie Tita's current situation, he currently resides just outside of New Boston, Texas, 100 miles north of Carthage, in the Telford unit of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice where he is listed as offender number 00864378. He is a model inmate. He teaches health classes. He participates in the prison's choir. And everybody loves him. Yeah. And he will most likely die in prison. I can think of a lot of people that should be be having longer sentences for much lesser crimes. And then some guy goes out here, rapes and kills... 44 nine-year-olds, right, and gets six years, three, and then gets out of three years for good behavior. Yep. I think the Bernie Bernie Tita's problem is the member of society that he killed. This is a district attorney's. This woman had connections, right? She's high class. She knows all the uh, all the big time players. He killed one of their own. Yeah, you know, that's that's something that probably died with her is her influencing connections within the inner workings of this the town, which some people might have, you know, some people might have looked at it and said, oh, he was doing us a favor. But other people are like, no, you know, you don't understand. I was up for election and, you know, you're never going to hear that. No, no. But yeah, I'm sure she was kind of a junior George Soros in town. I'm sure money went to support things that she you know ideologically felt were you know pertinent now like i said he should be in prison i think he should have got probably 10 15 years i think he should be out by now yeah but i think he i think that 15 years would have been fair but should he serve life absolutely not absolutely not this is a man that had no prior record had never been violent towards anyone ever ever has never been violent with anyone since. Yeah. And has never even pissed somebody off. You might go as far as to say anyone that is paired up in the situation that he was, drug around the world and, you know, shaving an old shaving old lady legs and, and all of that, it, it, it might, if anyone else in the town was put into that position, my guess would be she would have died sooner. You know what? I'll do you one better. Change the roles here. Okay. 
Switch the roles. Switching them out to croissants. It's a it's a a a, a seventy. A, a, not even the age. A woman that's being forced to do all this by a man. Oh yeah, no, she wouldn't serve a day. She wouldn't serve. A she day. may serve a day. She might serve five years. I doubt it. They maybe they would, they would stare so hard at this being domestic incarceration or something to that point. And a lot of people say. You know, well, why didn't he just walk away? Why didn't he just leave? That's not the kind of man Bernie was. No. He he was a people pleaser. The idea of her being sad that he was that he left her, abandoned her, he couldn't tolerate that either. He, he was like he felt uh, he was backed into a corner in his uh, in his head. Yeah, I agree. I don't want it, but I do. I don't want to either, man. I don't like that I feel this way. But when you add the human element, it's how I feel, and I'm not going to pretend like I'm. I don't feel any other way. Sorry. And I know that this episode is going to piss a lot of people off. And go fuck yourself. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. Uh, well, I think you should be out of prison. Yeah. I think you served his time. And it makes me sad that this this man is still in prison. What's interesting, too, is an argument that's used a lot in parole hearings is – the debate on whether or not the, the the prisoner that's sitting across the table has has not only done their time served you know what justice is imposed, but that they have been rehabilitated to the point where they can be a contributing member of society. And I would say this guy is was that on day one of his prison. Yes, sentence, you know, on day one he was more of a contributing member of society than ninety nine percent of society. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, do you have a happy ending? Nope. Ah, Just bye. Okay. I would like to say, if you like TCK and you want to continue to see this podcast, be successful. And we can't continue to do the podcast if it's not successful because this is how we make our money now. We do it full time. Rate and review. That helps. If you want to go the extra mile, Go to the 1159 Media Patreon. That's 1159 Media on Patreon. Join Patreon. We get shows like uh, uh, Extraterrestrials, which is a show me and Op do on the weird and the and the odd ghost stories and and cryptids and weird things found in the ocean and space and just whatever we feel like talking about. It's more of a radio show, uh, a little bit more shot from the hip, and that's bi daily. So Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Uh, you'll also get early releases of TCK. You'll get early releases of 911 calls, and you'll get uh, 911 calls plus, which is only on Patreon. Yes. So there's a lot there. If you want to help us, if you want to support us, that's 1159 Media on Patreon. If not, I understand times are hard. Eggs are fucking $38 a carton. Just rate and review. Rate and review and then go to Facebook and look at our four little daughters that we have. And then you tell us whether or not you can, whether you can spare. I can't finish. They eat so many eggs. They eat so many eggs. (laughs) Yeah. It's like every time I turn around, I'm making eggs. And I'm like, baby, I had to sell daddy. Daddy had to sell his motorcycle to get this carton of eggs. Let's try to ration them. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I will um, 
I heard you got the next one teed up already, and it's ready yes. to go. Teed us up. Teed it up. Teed it up. So I'll call you tomorrow for that. Okay, don't. Bye. Love you. Nope. Bye. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Bye. Yep. Love you.